The title of today's message is Seasoned Veteran. Let me read you the definition for a seasoned veteran. Seasoned described a person who has been around forever, doing what they do and doing it well throughout the seasons. They have lots of experience and they can handle just about anything that comes their way. I've been at this a very long time. Uh, I got called to preach when I was 14. I'm the sixth generation of preachers in my family. I grew up around church. I saw some churches go through some terrible stuff. I've seen churches split over the color of the pew pads. They got to arguing about just crazy stuff. I have heard of and seen churches fold for theological reasons. Sometimes just whether COVID, something like that hits them. There wasn't enough funding. And, you know, the preacher or somebody would say, well, we just have to shut it down. That's it. Uh, to my knowledge, at least if I don't recall this, since this church was started uh, in 1997, we have never not been open on a Sunday, even if the whole town shut down because of a, a freeze. The, the light is on. And for whatever reason, God has put this church in the heart of this city for some reason. Geographically for some reason, economically for some reason, uh, diversity. Some churches have diversity, for instance, uh, racially, but they don't have diversity economically. We have some of the richest of the rich, some of the poorest of the poor. We try to stay near the shelter so people don't have to commute because they can't commute. And so as I process kind of where we are and where we've been and uh, a little bit of a seasoned veteran at this, uh, pastor at a church when I was 20 to 24, went into business for 10 years, went back to work in a church, started this one, and here we are. So just kind of to put this out here, you know, we talk about where we are, what's going on financially, and, and whatever else you can discuss. I pray and I say, okay, Lord, I'm one of the elders. I've been around here for a minute. And what's going on? So what's going to happen? So let me just start by saying this first. I have zero indication from God or anywhere else that, that we're not going to be here. Okay? This is, this is going nowhere. Because if we were going to be gone, I can clap to that too. Okay? Because <laughs> if we were going to be gone, we'd have been gone by now. We don't need COVID or some kind of crazy racial stuff going on in the world to shut us down. Um, and stuff like this, people say, wow, a church is hard. I'm like, no, no, no. Church is not hard. Church is impossible. A church should be impossible. If you can do church without Jesus, it ain't church. It's just a gathering of a bunch of people for some religious reason. But if they're going to get together anyway, that's not the same thing. Um, and just while I'm on a certain few things that I was, I was not aware of, talked to a lady, I think, in North Carolina she heard me mention somebody in the church and called and said, wait, that's, you know, I know them. And, and so they talked to her about our church. Well, in her brain, this was a mega church in Dallas and, you know, it's mega something, but it ain't mega, mega. Um, you know, so, so people think, oh, it must be this, that you come visit, you walk in and go, wait a minute. I thought there was some mega church. Um, we, ha we are a mega church in terms of over 100,000 people have come through this church in, since we, in our inception. That's a lot of people. You say, well, why don't they stay? We infect a lot of people. We affect a lot of people. Some stay for a while, and then they go out somewhere as kind of missionaries. They get sent, 
and some stay. For right now, you are some who stayed. So I've been doing this long enough to know all you people ain't going to be here forever. You say, well, what does that mean? You're going to run me off? No. You'll either get transferred out, you'll quit, you'll die. I don't know what's going to happen to you. You'll flake out. A lot of things happen. Uh, but if God tells you to stay here, you need to be here. Right? And I appreciate so much. You, you have no idea. I don't do this like I used to, but I used to literally show up at church and, and come out here and go, they came back. That was the most stunning thing for me always. Because this is, this is not easy, right? It is not easy. And some of you, a family showed up the other day from, you know, Weatherford, Texas. And you say, well, what are they? They probably passed a thousand churches on the way over here. Why don't they go to one of those? What if God told them to come to this one for some reason? And what if God told you to be at this one for some reason? And what if God told you to give to this church for some reason? Now, we have financial challenges because we're not a mega church. We're not a rich church. From time to time, nations at war call on other nations to help them. And other nations show up. England. Let me read you something. Churchill went to his school, the Harrow School, in uh, October 29th, 1941, during World War II. And this is part of the speech he gave, not to the House of Commons, not on the BBC. He went back to his old school to hear the school songs and to speak to that school. And he said, you cannot tell from, appearance, from appearances how things will go. Sometimes imaginations, imagination makes things out far worse than they are, yet without imagination, not much can be done. Those people who are imaginative see many more dangers than perhaps exist, certainly many more than will happen, but, but then they must also pray to be given that extra courage to carry this far-reaching imagination. But for everyone, surely, what we have gone through in this period, I am addressing myself to the school, surely from this period of 10 months, this is the lesson, and this is what he's remembered for in this speech. And I recommend going and, and getting the audio of this speech. Because in Churchill's own inimitable way, he said, never, never. Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty. Never get in, in, in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Neither yield to force, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We should all alone a year ago, we stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this, trans, all this tradition of ours, our songs, our school history, this part of history, this country, were once and finished and liquidated. And then he goes on to talk about help shows up. So I'm going to very specifically say to the people in this room and people listening and watching beyond, we are not a mega church. We're in a tough spot and we need your help. And if you feel led to help, help. You say, well, I don't go to that church. Forget all that. You're being blessed by the church or why are you listening? Turn it off. Right? So, 
It hasn't always been this way. It won't always be this way. Um, but, but I ain't quitting because there, there is, there's a lady I talked to just a few days ago. She came in. I said, well, how was it? She said, she said, I've, I've felt very, very, very welcomed. Like people really were genuinely happy that I was here. She said, then I observed something else that I had not seen before. It looked like the people in your church genuinely cared about each other. Now, I'm, I'm kind of would like to think that that's everywhere you go. It's just not, a, it's not the way it is. Even white people aren't nice to white people. Black people, not nice to black people. All black church, all Hispanic church, all Korean church. You pick a church. You think, oh, they're going to be nice to each other because they all are the same. They don't like each other either. And then Jesus says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. You love each other. So, and what makes it worse is I get nowhere to go. Because I never, I didn't grow up with this. I'd never seen this. I didn't know this was possible. That people could just love Jesus and because of that, that's all you needed in common. It didn't matter what color you were. It didn't matter where you went to school, where you lived, what you drove, if you had, even had a car. You're just a person that got saved by Jesus and now your family and now you figure it out. And as it turns out, there are people looking for that kind of family. Not everybody, religious people sometimes don't want that kind of family. But lost people, they got nobody, need Jesus. They need that kind of family. And we're not the only place on the planet, I'm not saying that. But this lighthouse got raised down here many, many, day, many years ago. And I don't have any in, in, indication to unscrew the bulb. So... This thing's going forward. So there's, there's part of it. Now go to Matthew chapter 5. And I'll get to the verses on the war part of this. Uh, this is not some game. Uh, this, is, this is a battle. It is a battle for the souls of men and women and children. people who will end up in a real hell. And in a battle, there are soldiers. And what we are trying to raise up as a church are seasoned veterans of this war, men and women of God who know how to fight personally and on behalf of other people, how to intercede, how to, to engage with another person and show them where the enemy's trying to steal, kill, destroy in their lives and has taken them captive by his, to do his will and rescue people who will end up in hell, but also rescue Christians who are just on a self-destruct course. So Matthew chapter five, verse 13 so Jesus says this to his people, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Um, so we, we are the salt. There's a day coming and God helped the planet. 
when Jesus returns and we are all evacuated out of here, and I hope I'm not speaking to anybody if this happens in my lifetime, but the catastrophic tragedy if, if Christians are removed from the whole planet and you realize you were told, you were warned, and you know it's not aliens that have absconded with everybody. You know it's Christians that Jesus has come for and you got left behind. You talk about panic. I will not have that panic. I will not be here. So why do we do what we do? Why are we who we are? We are trying to warn people, rescue people, reach people, tell them, say yes to Jesus now. Follow Jesus now. And it's almost like people don't even believe there's a heaven or a hell anymore. So while we are here, we, we have flavor, we have seasoning, we contribute something. A whole nation can be preserved by a handful of Christians. I heard a man named Eric Metaxas speak the other day, and he talked about during the war in Germany, and there were so many, almost 20,000 churches, and a certain percentage of them went with Hitler. About two or 3,000 of them took a stand, and the middle churches said nothing. 12,000 or so of them, he said. Hitler could have been stopped by the church. All this nonsense going on in our country, abortion, gay marriage, trans everything in the world, people not knowing whether they're male or female, that stuff only gets, gets done because the church doesn't stand up. If you don't know what the truth is, figure out what the truth is. If you know what the truth is, you say it out loud. Enough of this. Just because they've lost their mind, I have not lost my mind. And I know what scripture says. And, and I get that part of what contributes to our getting rocked as a church is people go out, you know, dude, you talk about things you shouldn't be talking about. If the church doesn't get involved politically, what do you think it's, it's supposed to be doing? Oh, I'm going to stand back and let the government do what it wants to do. And I get criticized. I say I'm a one-issue voter till that one, one issue is no longer an issue. I'm going to vote to stop killing babies. I don't care what you think. Right? I'm going to do what I can. Because a nation that kills its unborn will not survive. And a nation that doesn't stand up for Israel, by the way, won't make it either. Because here's what happens. They come after the Jews. You're next. Don't you kid yourself. You think it's just Jews they hate? They hate God's people. I'm one of his people. He said, oh, you're getting political. Whatever, whatever. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Go to John chapter 15. I saw something this week. I don't know. That, you know, you kind of read your Bible and go, yeah, I already read all that. And then God goes, oh, but what about that? I'm like, yeah, what about that? Why didn't I see that? John 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine. 
My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, now look how he says this, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This can apply to an individual, could also apply to a church. So who gets pruned? The branches that don't bear fruit, but sometimes branches get pruned because you are bearing fruit. So you say, well, I'm living for God. I'm doing what he said to do. I'm obeying, I'm trusting, I'm following, I'm discipling, I'm doing all this stuff. It looks, I feel like I'm getting clipped. Why is he still clipping on me? He's clipping and pruning because you're bearing fruit, not because you're not bearing fruit. So he comes along with me and says, okay, yeah, okay. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Yes. Then why are you keep squeezing on me? Because you can bear more fruit if you'll let me trim these things that are a distraction to what I'm trying to do in and through you. And you feel sometimes like, God, why don't you just leave me alone enough already? This is it. I've already done what you said to do. He says, yeah, and I got more. So I'm going to clip this branch so the sap comes through this main branch and you explode with, with fruit. And you say, well, how does that apply to a church? I, you know, I don't 100% always know who the stowaways are. Right? Any given time in a room like this, um, my wife has sat over here for 20-something years And sometimes she will pick up on somebody who's here to pray against me when I'm preaching. And so she's praying against them, praying against me. Because not everybody who shows up is on our team. They're on the other team and they're trying to stop this and shut this down. Whose team are you on? Some people just show up at churches to make trouble. Some people show up at churches to molest children. That's the thing. You know how we have background checks on everybody who works with our kids. We have so many police officers around here to protect a lot of it, our children. Because there are predators in the world. And we don't want them thinking this is a good place for them. So, if you're a stowaway, you have no intention of participating. There's, you say, well, how, how would I know if I'm a stowaway? You've never discipled a soul. You have no intention of discipling anyone. No one's, you've not talked about anybody about Jesus. You have no intention of talking to anybody about Jesus. You're not reading the scriptures. You're not, you're not even connected to a small group or anything, anybody. You just attend. Now you'll only do that for so long. That's just how it works. But if you don't get connected and engage with him in the process, there's a lot going on here you could participate in. You can serve. We have a couple sitting over here somewhere. They realize all this stuff has to be torn up and set down and say, wait, you do this by yourself? There are days I finish in the lobby and come up here and help them wrap cables. I'll do whatever it takes, right? I used to do all of this. So serve, pick a place, children's ministry somewhere. This ain't, this ain't no cruise ship. This is a battleship. Man your stations. So, sometimes a church gets pruned. You say, well, why did those people leave? They either got transferred, they quit, or he got them out of here for our protection. Ephesians chapter 6. <sighs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. 
and I'm, I'm reading this for the purpose of making sure you understand the nature of that it is a battle and what the battle is. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why would he use references of armor if it's not a war? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having, verse 12, for we do not wrestle, and let me take a minute and read you a definition of this word wrestle, or wrestle, depending on where you're from. Um, <laughs> you like that, Kenny? I heard that. I heard that. So this word wrestle means shake or vibrate a wrestling struggle or hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was used of the wrestling of athletes and of the hand-to-hand -hand combat of soldiers, both of which required deftness and speed. It denotes the struggle between individual combatants in distinction from an entire military campaign. So why do you put on the full armor of God? Because you, are, you have daily, like I do, hand-to-hand -hand combat with the enemy. And you're either winning those battles or you're losing them. And the reason for putting this armor on is this is how you win these battles. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So I've tried to explain this along the way. Your main, if, you, if your marriage is in trouble, your main problem is not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your children. It's not these physical things. It's not flesh and blood. It is principalities. It is powers. This room right now is filled with angels. You say, well, how do you know that? I got people that I trust. I'm not even asking to see them. Lord, I'm not asking because it's hard enough already. But I got people who see them in this room. You say, well, why do you believe that? Because the, that's the battle. It's, it's spiritual battle. It's angels, it's demons, it's God himself moving troops. If you could get you a spiritual drone and fly it around this place on a Sunday when we meet here and then run it through here, it'd freak you out. You couldn't even come back. And I'd, I'd feel even better if someone told me that all the demons were waiting out by your car. They don't have, they know better. You won't get in there. Too, too shut down, too prayed over. I've had people tell me for years, they come in these ramps in the back, just walk up the ramp and burst into tears. Why do you think that is? You get in here and you burst into tears, some old theater downtown Dallas. Because this is a safe house. And this ain't no halfway house. It's an all the way house. And our intention is for you to come in here and to be able to pray and sing and have some protection and get a sense, a taste of what it would be like to walk out of here and stay that way. Instead of getting your teeth kicked in the rest of your life, every day, everywhere you go, that you can win.
Philippians 4. Let me take a minute in Philippians 4. Uh, I'll just insert this here before we read Philippians. Uh, you know when you kind of have some shakeups and things get stressful in your own family, whatever, you get creative. And uh, one of my daughters and her husband invited us over for dinner, me and Rebecca. They were worried about us, wanted to see if we were okay. And at one point, one of my daughters, my youngest, Catherine, was born after this church started. She's known nothing else. Victoria, we were at her house. She was a little girl. And she looked at me and said, Daddy, something to the effect of, you are my dad, but you're also my pastor. And this is my church. And it matters to her what happens to this church. And now she wants to know, what can I do? She sings faithfully up here. Tyler's back there running a camera usually. Is this your church? Yes. Right? You got to find out, is this your church or just our church? People ask me sometimes, how do you join the church? You got to have pronouns. Your pronouns change. It's, it's not their church, your church. This is my church. Pronouns change, opportunity, responsibility, everything changes. Philippians chapter four, verse one. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So these two people kind of got crosswise. He's, he calls them out by name right up front in chapter four. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And, and again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And then you may have memorized or know this, heard of this verse. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the only explanation for how, I, explaining how I feel. You say, well, aren't you anxious, money, whatever, stuff like, how can you be anxious if you do this? I've taken it to him. And I'll read you this verse in a second. I'm not the provider for this church. He's the provider. Amen. And the only way we ever make it, or the only way, even as, a, as an individual, if I look back over my life as a, as a single man, then married, just me and Rebecca, then these three kids, there is no way I have made it without Jesus showing up. There's no way. Exceedingly, abundantly, above anything I could ever ask or think, he's done stuff I didn't even ask for because I didn't have the guts to ask for it. And he shows up anyway. 
Nobody wants better for you than Jesus. You don't even want better for you than Jesus. So if you go to him and you say, okay, Lord, I can either panic, freak out, or be anxious, or do it your way. And he says, let's do it my way. How do you know you've done it his way? Because the end of this deal, the peace of God, which surpasses, you can't explain it to anybody, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So when when the enemy comes and says, what are you going to do? The peace of God who is standing guard over my heart and mind says, "Uh uh-uh, not today, Satan. I'm here guarding his heart and his mind. He's not going there. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Figure out what that stuff is and think about that. You won't go negative thinking about that. And the enemy will have a hard time getting in your head if that's what's in your head. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at, at, the, at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did not, surely did, did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. Now, so he's had a need. They met the need, some kind of financial, physical need. And then he tells them, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. So now a church sometimes has to learn like a person needs to learn to be content. So we pray the Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What if God says, okay, now that's going to apply to the church. I'm going to give you daily bread one day at a time. Money will show up to keep you going. Are you going to trust me? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. You say, but I don't have, I don't, I don't have what I want. That's not what he promised. He did not tell you he's going to give you what you want. He would provide your needs. And what are your basic needs? Food and clothing. You say, what about shelter? It ain't in there. You say, well, I don't like the sound of that. I didn't write it. I just work here. It's not in there. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. If I could take you back, I was trying not to kill myself. I I don't even think, I hope the building is not even there. I lived in a room, a one room tear down thing on the edge of seminary campus in Fort Worth. I had a bed, a bathroom, cost me hardly anything. They shouldn't have charged me for it. I had a little pan and I had a little heat thing. I had a car with no brakes, grateful for the car. You just had to plan at intersections where to ditch. And I would buy minute rice, big box of minute rice. I could afford some grated cheese and I can cook me some rice, sprinkle that grated cheese, mix it up, put some salt on it. I could probably live forever on that if it didn't kill me. I, I, had, I had nothing. I've told this occasionally. I would drive up to the Dairy Queen window with like all the coins I had and I would hand it to the girl at the window. This, she must have thought I was nuts. Because the car wouldn't stop anyway. You had to be riding by doing it. You know, so. <laughs> S- 
So I'd hand her the, all of my coins and I'd say, look, and I'm, and I'm 23, you know, 22 something years old. I'm like, how humiliating. I'm like, just give me the biggest double dip cone you can for that. Now, can I tell you that I was content? I was too broke to know any difference. I didn't know what, I couldn't fix it. And I was really unhappy enough that I couldn't make my life work and wanted to die because I couldn't figure Jesus out. And he, he took care of me. He didn't let me kill myself. He wouldn't kill me. He sent me help. But he taught me a lot through all that mess. What I can't live without is Jesus. <laughs> That's what I can't do without. I can eat me some rice, but I can't, I can't do it without Jesus. So Paul says, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. In other words, I have nothing. And I know how to abound more than enough. Everything and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer need. And then this verse gets jerked completely out of context so much. It's, this is where it applies in the context of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can't apply this, though, to being an Olympic athlete. Oh, I read the Bible. I can be, a, a, you know, I'm going to win the 100-yard dash. You're going to lose, dude. It doesn't apply to that. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in, in the context of contentment. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You're the only ones that helped me. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit of that abounds to your account. Indeed, I, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And then look at this phrase. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. People say, well, I can't afford to give. I can't afford to help. You can't afford not to. Where do you think your sustenance comes from? Where do you think, who's providing for you? You didn't wake you up. You didn't keep you awake. You can't keep your heart beating, your lungs pumping. It's, it's just God himself, the giver and sustainer of life. Then verse 20, now to, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. couple of other ones, Hebrews 5. So, how do you become a seasoned veteran in this battle against Satan, sin, death, hell? This describes some of the process 
and some what happens when the process is not happening. Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time, now he's addressing some people and this is not all nice. By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So how do you graduate from milk? Oh, I don't even want to share this. I have, I, my, our dogs had puppies. We were not planning on this. I got nine little puppies at my house. And these, I mean, I've taken out a loan for goat's milk. I mean, this is getting crazy. Mom can't keep up with them. Rebecca's got this concoction. We're buying do, five dozen eggs in a box at a time, trying to keep these dogs alive. Milk, 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 milk. And now she's throwing some stuff in their food. And in a matter of days, they will be eating solid food because they're not puppies anymore. How long are you going to be a puppy? Puppies are cute for a little while. They don't work forever. Little dog is okay. Puppy, not okay. You can't be a puppy, a Christian puppy forever. Oh, I just need me some more of that milk. No. It's time to grow up. You can get born again. You can grow up. You have to grow up. That. Is that what you meant? He said, say that. I said that. So there, here we go. Okay, so keep reading with me. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Okay? So how do you know that you're off of milk on solid food? Because you are applying the scripture you are living it out. You're sen- you know when you come to good and evil. You don't have to go, oh, well, I'm not sure. So I, you know, I, I do a little analysis. I think, well, and sometimes people say, oh, you're pushing too hard. So Jesus says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his, deny himself daily, take up his cross, and follow me. Oh, well, we're not going to read that verse anymore because that's too hard. That's the stuff. Who wants to play on a team where the coach says, well, you know, we're just going to have fun, and, you know, it's not about winning, it's Christian soccer. You can suck and it'd be okay. Not going to learn any, you know, how to dribble, how to do any of this. Just be together, be together. I'm not interested in that. I'm trying to hit the finish line winning, right? And I'm going to have to answer for this. Show up a bunch of puppies? Not on my watch.
What else, Lord? So, uh, my oldest daughter Elizabeth was born 11-11, Armistice Day. And on Armistice Day, 1918, I think it was, November 11th at 11 o'clock, 11-11, everything was 11 except the 18. And when you read about what happened that day at the end of World War I, there was a cessation of hostilities. I'm looking forward to that day. Cessation of hostilities. That day already happened for the Christian. The hostilities that God had toward me as a human being because of my sin, the day that Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood and was buried and raised from the dead, all hostilities against me ceased. But I live on a planet where the hostilities have not ceased in terms of what the enemy's doing. But there's a day, there's a day coming when the book of Revelation says that one angel will take Satan and throw him in the pit and lock it and he's gone. And there will be a cessation of hostilities. Get you some of that. So, we're not going anywhere. We got miles to go. I think things are gonna get actually better because this has been a kick in the pants, caused people to think about a lot. You may see some changes around here. If you want to serve, no one's telling you you can't serve. If it's not illegal, immoral, unbiblical, or unethical, we might try it. Okay? Our job, my job as a pastor, one of the elders, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And I promise you, when you engage in serving, when you engage in growing, when you, when you engage in applying the scripture to your life where you know what good and evil is and you grow up, you're, you're, you're full grown, your life, your family, everything will change, but the world will change around you. <sighs> is it too early to quit? Oh man, we'll quit. Lord, thank you so much. Um... Man, I don't even, I can't even imagine some religion where you're not even in the, in the mix and they stand up and read out of their books and tell their stories and ain't hey, Jack, there's nothing. There's no wind. There's nothing going to happen. Just the enemy deceiving them. And here we are. We got the book. We got the way, the truth, the life. We got you. And you are not just with us. You, as, as, as believers, you are in us and you ain't leaving. And we are your family. We are a church gathered here in the center of downtown Dallas. And unless you say something different, we are not shutting down. We're not going anywhere. We're going to push forward. And I am trusting you, Lord Jesus, to prompt people in this room and beyond here who listen and watch may not have known what to do or felt prompted to do it, that they would do it today. Whatever it is they're supposed to do, if it's financial, financial. And that we get through this time and keep fighting forward long after all of us are dead. If Jesus doesn't return, may this lighthouse be on in this place, in this city. Father, for people who don't know you and today is their day and they go wow I had no idea I can't explain it even but I just realize now that this God must love me why would he let his son die if he didn't care about me 
So for anybody in that category, Lord, that would say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you love me now. I believe you died on that cross, shed your blood to pay for my sin. You were buried, raised from the dead to conquer sin, death, the grave, everything, all my enemies. I accept the forgiveness of my sins as a free gift, eternal life, a free gift. I changed my mind, God. I I can't save myself. Only you can save me. Save me. Move in right now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit from the inside out to overflowing where I I just almost can't, can't contain it. Use my life. Show me how to grow up now to where I can live the life that you intended and trust you and follow you and obey you. And Father, for those of us as believers, um, whatever it is you've been trying to say or someone that's a Christian has heard today, I pray that we would take it to heart. We wouldn't argue with you, argue with the truth. We would just yield. If there's sin, we would confess it. If there's been a lockup of unwillingness to serve, we think this is some kind of spectator cruise ship. May you give us an impulse, a desire as never before, Lord, to put it in gear and engage and be a part of the solution with our time, our lives, our gifts, our abilities, our money, whatever it is. You're the best. Wow. No God like you. Not even one that claims to be like you. And nobody else has got a savior who laid his life down to make all this this possible. So we pray it, sweet Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.